policies and procedures manual, snooze alert, right? But you need it because if you have a good relationship with everyone on your team now, doesn't mean you will have that in the future. So you need to make sure that there are policies and procedures in place. How great would it be to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial buildings? Well, now you can with Building Bits. It's not a REIT or a fund. Building Bits is a new platform for non-accredited investors where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. You can now invest in the same quality assets, which have previously only been available to institutions and wealthy individuals. Once you choose your building on buildingbits.com, you can invest as little as $500 and receive your share of the rents while Building Bits' team of real estate pros handles all the management aspects of the building. For the first time, the big corporations in America can actually start paying you. And when the building is sold in the future, the potential appreciation is redistributed to everyone so you don't just get the rental income, but also share in the upside. Best of all, since these securities are SEC qualified, they are freely tradable immediately. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of their current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And well, welcome back, Theo Hicks. Nice to have you back on the show. It's good to be back, Joe. Looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, we missed you. And we've got some things that we're going to talk about today specifically three lessons that I learned from last week's interviews and they're ranging. One is more setting up your foundation, your business foundation. The other is just some random thing that I did learn. So I want to mention it might be applicable to people. I won't spend a lot of time on that. And the third is something to reiterate to any best ever listener who might have a self-defeating story that they're telling their self about finding deals. Mm. So first, well, let's dig into it, number one. And these are lessons that, well, taking a step back, when we do interviews for this show, they are done on Thursdays. And there's 9, 10, 11 interviews that I do on Thursdays. Or if I'm not able to do them, then you step in and you do the interviews. But the point is that we're interviewing nine to 10 people in one day. And it's a day of learning. (laughs) That's for sure. So what we've started to do on these follow along Friday episodes is to highlight some of the lessons that have been learned from those conversations. And the lessons that I'm mentioning, certainly I learned a lot more from the conversations than just what I'm highlighting. I just want to call out a couple things. So one, Terry Ogburn, He's actually in your neck of the woods, Theo. He's in Tampa, Florida. Okay. And he talked about the eight components of an operation manual for your business. So this is for every real estate investor who has a business. So everyone raise your hand. We all got businesses. We should have an operations manual. And that's kind of intuitive, although I guarantee mm, probably – 85% to 90% of everyone listening, myself included, do not have operation manuals for our businesses. So it's nice to hear 
not only that he not only talked about the components of it, but he went into detail during the interview. I won't go into detail of the components, but I will tell you the components. And if you want to dig into that, then just listen to the Terry Ogburn interview. And by the way, the interviews, the people who I'm talking about, those interviews will be released over the next 30 days, sometime next 30 days from when this episode goes live. So eight components to an operations manual for your business. Number one, the business development plan. So how are you going to generate business? How are you going to have the business evolve over time and getting specific there? Two is the strategic action plan. And here's the key here with the strategic action plan. Grade yourself every quarter with specific numbers and make sure that that's in place so that it's something that we do, Theo, as you're well aware, is we track the amount of new visitors to our website, the amount of new passive accredited investors who reach out to us, the amount of visits to our blog. If we're doing a special series, like you do the syndication school series, we track the visits on that particular landing page. And we have a call every Tuesday, Thursday at 8 a.m. in the morning. But on the Tuesday call, Theo goes over the metrics and how we've progressed or lack thereof. And then we talk about that. So having a strategic action plan in every quarter grading yourself, we do it weekly, but perhaps the strategic action plan, it's more high level, maybe focus on more of the key performance indicators that are your bottom line indicators. And then the weekly check-ins will tie into those. So for example, one key performance indicator for my business is new accredited investor leads. And now three main lead sources for my business for new accredited investors, one word of mouth referrals, our current investors referring others. That's now I'm proud to say number one. Two is bigger pockets. And then three is this podcast. So that would be more macro level that we would do every quarter. We take a look at that. Mm -hmm. And then on a weekly or more consistent basis, we look at the landing page results and performance of certain campaigns and certain series, et cetera, that ladder up to the other stuff. So that's number two. Number three is org chart, self-explanatory, right? But here's the thing. When I asked Terry, which of these components takes the most time to come up with and think through, he actually said the org chart because it's writing in the people and their responsibilities and the roles that they serve. And that can take some time. And I know firsthand that can certainly take some time to really think through that. If you have a business model that's more traditional, like wholesaling or fixing and flipping, then you probably know the people you need. You need an acquisitions person, a dispositions person, maybe someone overseeing the construction, someone handling the calls coming in, etc. So you can probably borrow a page from someone else's book who you know who's in the industry and fill that in. But if you have an apartment syndication company like I've got, then it can be a little bit more challenging. But Nonetheless, it's important to have. So that's number three, org chart. Number four is a checklist for the job function. So I guess I jumped the gun on that. So you got the org chart and then number four is the checklist for the job function. So that's the part that takes the most amount of time. Number five, a budget, pro forma, forecasting income that you want. Well, that's the fun part, right? Forecasting, okay, here's where we wanna be and then have things in place to make sure that you're tracking against that. So that's number five, Number six is policies and procedures manual, snooze alert, right? But you need it because if you have a good relationship with everyone on your team now, doesn't mean you will have that in the future. 
So you need to make sure that there are policies and procedures in place. And then also just setting expectations with the team. And I know when I was working with organizations as a W-2 employee, if there weren't certain rules or policies, then it's the wild, wild west. But if you know the parameters of, okay, here's my expectations, and now let me deliver on those expectations, then it's a lot easier for everyone involved. So it's actually for everyone's benefit. Number seven is a direct marketing plan. So what's your plan to reach people? So I guess business development plan is slightly different. You'll have to listen to the interview and hear the nuances there because I, I know I said number one was business development plan and I grouped in marketing there, but there is a specific direct marketing plan. And then number eight is a social media plan. So Terry actually segments out social media in its separate bucket as a component of the operations manual. So to recap, business development plan number one, strategic action plan number two, org chart number three, checklist for job function number four, a pro forma forecasting income number five, policies and procedures number six, direct marketing plan number seven, and social media plan number eight. Any comments? Yeah, so I'm sure some people that are, as you mentioned in the beginning, 85 to 90% of us likely don't have all eight of these components. Maybe a few of them, maybe they're in our heads. But if you're just kind of starting out or don't have a large business, you may be asking yourself, well, how am I going to have an org chart? It's just me and that's it. And I remember, it wasn't this last year's conference, but it was a 2018 conference. I can't remember who it was. It was Scott Lewis. He was explaining the org chart and how important that is. And he was also addressing that objection of, well, if I'm just me, why would I make an org chart? It's just my name and then everything else. But you want to figure out exactly what the kind of break out the different roles that you're doing. And then, as Joe mentioned, take out the checklist for each of those job functions. That way, once you're ready to bring on someone, you can be like, okay, right now I'm fulfilling 20 roles. So in my ideal business, I'd have 20 people working for me. And here's the first person I'm going to bring on, and they're going to fulfill roles 1 through 10, and I'll do 11 through 20. And that way, you know exactly who you need to bring on Maybe you don't know when you're going to bring them on, but you know, okay, eventually I'm going to need to fulfill these specific roles and you can kind of tackle that throughout the years as opposed to just kind of waiting and it's kind of randomly bringing on people and not necessarily knowing who's going to do what or who you need to do what. That's kind of one thing that stuck out with the org chart that's going to take the longest. And the reason why it's going to take the longest is because you have to figure out exactly who you're going to need. And I'm sure for you, Joe, you probably didn't know exactly who you'd be hiring when you first started out. You probably didn't realize you're going to have someone that specifically helps you with social media and someone that helps you with marketing and someone helps you with this. So obviously all of these things are going to evolve as well. They're not going to be set in stone and never change either. And I love it because the key here is the vision and being intentional about what you're doing. And certainly, as you said, it's going to evolve. But just putting it out on paper and say, okay, here are the eight components to operations manual. And now let me put on paper what I believe them to be as of this moment in time, knowing that they're going to evolve. But just putting them on paper, I guarantee you, will trigger some questions and some ideas to help advance your business further and a lot faster than if you hadn't done that. Exactly. All right. Second, really quick, Jason Perro. You can hear a story, very impressive, the single family home portfolio that he and his wife purchased and accumulated. And now he's in multifamily stuff. But I want to mention that during our conversation, he said he bought a laundry mat and a car wash 
with the assumption that they would be passive because with the laundromat, you put quarters into the washer dryer with a car wash, you do the same thing. Not so much, not passive at all, incredibly active and was his least favorite investment to date. And I think he ended up selling it. You can listen to the interview and hear all the details, but one is laundromats and car washes are not passive. And I didn't necessarily know that either. I would think, yeah, it's just, it's quarters, but you got to collect those quarters and you got to make sure no one's stealing and you have to mitigate the risk from people not stealing. Of course, I guess you could do electronic payments, but usually people who are at a laundromat, that's not the best form of payment for them. I imagine it's probably going to be change. And there are other systems too you can look at, but just know that laundromats, car washes, not passive. And then you don't have any comments on that, do you? I do not. I didn't think so. <laughs> and then Jens Nielsen, third thing, he talked about different deals that he did starting out. He's a multifamily investor and he talked about an 11 unit that he started with and then a 16 unit. And I started asking him, how did you find these deals? And the 16 unit he did with direct mail. He was connecting directly with owners. 16 unit property. That's a pretty good size property getting direct to owner, $740,000 purchase price. By the way, the 11 unit, the first one that he did, it was owner financing. So he was able to secure that. And that was actually a broker who he had a relationship with the broker's idea to do the owner financing because the numbers were not working. So I'm bringing up Jens Nelson's interview for two reasons. One, if you feel like there aren't enough deals or you're not getting the right deals, are you doing direct mail where you're creating your own list, looking at the assessor's records, checking out the LLC that owns it, then mailing handwritten envelopes to them, handwritten letters to them? Are you doing that? Are you doing it consistently? And are you following up with those leads? Because if not, then you're not maximizing your opportunities to find deals. And then the other thing I want to mention about Jens is that he was looking in tertiary markets. So not the Dallas's, the San Antonio's, the Austin's. He's looking in the Tyler, Texas's or the Abilene, Texas. Not specifically those markets, but you get the idea. That's what tertiary market is. He actually bought in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it's a market that not a lot of people talk about, but he's able to get these deals. And I personally wouldn't buy in a tertiary market because the size of properties that we're buying, 250 plus units, there are less buyers when we exit. Therefore, we're not going to get the same type of bump whenever we exit out. But the cash flow could be really good. So it's good for certain buyers. It's just not good for the type of business model that we do or not as good, but certainly good for certain buyers, depending on what their plan is for the property and their portfolio. So if you're having trouble finding deals, two things. One, are you really doing all the direct mail that you could possibly be doing? Really, 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 really. And then two is maybe look at some tertiary markets, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Abilene, Tyler, things like that. Markets. It, like that. This kind of goes back to what we talked about the last time we did fall on Friday, about a month ago when you were kind of talking about doing things that no one else is doing, kind of pursuing those investment strategies. And the example was this guy discovered that he could buy property to the foundation issues and fix them rather inexpensively. And I guarantee you that when he's sending out these mailers in these tertiary markets, those owners are not getting as many mailers 
as someone would be getting in you know, at Dallas, Texas. I'm sure there's not as many people to mail to, but they're also not going to be receiving 25 letters from different investors as well. Yep, absolutely. My mom used to say the squeaky wheel gets the grease growing up. There you go. It's true in most cases. Squeaky wheel can also be incredibly annoying. So you want to be careful with any saying like that. You want to kind of take it for what it's intended for, not perhaps literally, because then you could take it to a different level that you shouldn't go. But yeah, that's a great way of getting leads. What do you got going on? Well, I had a baby. That's why I wasn't here. (laughs) Congratulations again. All's well. All's well. It wasn't what I expected, but I really enjoy it. It's a boy. In what way wasn't it? what you expected? I said probably the sleeping. I didn't expect to be able to sleep as much as I am now. It might change once my wife goes back to work, but I was expecting to sleep a few hours a night and it really hasn't changed that much. You kind of just get up for a little bit and then go right back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously while I was off, I could sleep a little bit more, but I was kind of preparing for coming back to work and getting in. And so I actually get up earlier now than I was getting up before because obviously the baby's waking you up, Mm -hmm. but no, I love it. It's great. Awesome. Besides that, just getting back in the swing of things, I haven't worked for a month, so <laughs> just kind of getting back in the swing of things, but yeah, it feels natural again. Today, I'm glad to be back on Fall on Friday, and I'm actually doing the interviews today, so I get to talk for about what I learned on uh, next week's awesome. Fall on Friday, so that's yeah. good too. Looking forward to it. Do you want to jump into the, the trivia question, or do you have any other yeah, updates? Let's do it. Great. So we're hoping we could do a Fall on Friday, because the last time we did Fall on Friday was the first time Joe got the trivia question right, <laughs> live on the air, so... All the way back in mid-March, if you don't remember, the trivia question was, from the landlord's perspective, what's the best month of the year to lease out your unit? And so that's the month of the year that would result in the the highest lease to rent. And the answer was August. So if you were the first person to answer that question, that wasn't Joe correctly, then you receive a free signed copy of our best ever book. This week's question I pick these questions that are going to be relevant to us as investors. Sometimes they're kind of you know, fun, but most of the time they're going to be things that are relevant or interesting to us as investors, in particular rental landlords, people that are buying multifamilies or rental properties. Mm-hmm. So this week's question is, what is the average age of the first time home buyer? So the average age of the person they buy their first home. Now, 2019? This data was from last year, 2018. It was the most recent data I could find. First time home buyer, average age, 34. It's a really good guess. I'm not going to say this is right or wrong, but everyone listening, make sure that you also submit your, your answer to that question. What is the average age of the first time home buyer? You can either do that via email at info at joefairless or in the comment section of the YouTube video. And again, the first person to answer that question correctly will receive a signed copy of our best ever book. Volume one, right? Best Volume one. Say. All right, see. We're doing a review. We're doing a review. <laughs> so lastly, we read a review from the best ever apartment syndication book. So if you haven't already, buy that book on Amazon, leave a review. And if you send us a screenshot of that review to Info at Joe Fairless, you will not only receive a link to download some free apartment syndication goodies based off of the book, but you also have the opportunity to have your review read aloud on the podcast. This week's review is going to come from Jack F. And Jack said... At first glance, the content of this book is second to none. Working at an investment real estate company, consistently surrounded by experts, I can easily say that the information presented in these pages is not abundantly available, much less easy to find. It's a worthwhile read, not just for people specifically trying to do apartment syndication, 
but for anyone who wants to get serious about investing. We, on the other hand, have been serious about investing for some time. Now we're excited to put this content to the test and try our hand at apartment syndication. We'll hopefully have quite the story to tell when we edit this review next. Awesome. Well, thank you for those thoughts and especially given your background and your experience level that you mentioned. That means a lot. So best ever listeners, enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Wouldn't it be nice to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial real estate buildings for as little as $500? Now you can with Building Bits. Building Bits is a new platform where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building leased to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available only for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants. So don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of the current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.